0: Well, the rest of you open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. The very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. And this morning we're going to be studying verses 4 through 8 of chapter 1. If you're here last Sunday, uh, we embarked with much fear, trepidation, excitement, anticipation into a sermon series in the book of Revelation. Yeah, Someone asked me this morning, so are you really going to study the whole book all the way through? And I was like, that's my intention. And they're like, okay, just checking. Or just checking. <laughs> um, last Sunday we looked at the first three verses, which are kind of a superscription, a bit of a title page to the whole document. The actual introduction, I think, really begins in verse 4. But So, so last Sunday I... I preached a sermon that I entitled Intro to Revelation Part 1. And we looked at those first three verses and by way of introduction just to just kind of refresh you from last week, uh, we asked three basic questions of the text. Uh, the first question we asked was what is Revelation? What kind of literature are we dealing with? What genre of literature? And we saw that it's a prophecy. Verse 3, blessed are those who read the words of this prophecy Revelation is a prophetic word, which means it's a word from God to his people mediated through a prophet. And John the Apostle was that prophet. And so Revelation has a contemporary significance to us. Uh, A prophetic literature is is kind of alive. You can never quite nail it down. God is speaking to his people today through this book. So we expect to be spoken to by God through Revelation, The second question we asked is, what is Revelation about? What's kind of the main topic of this book? And I, I argued last week that Revelation is about the end times kingdom of Jesus in which He saves and rescues His people and judges those who reject Him. Uh, the twist we saw last week was that here in Revelation and throughout the New Testament, the end times in the New Testament is is always understood as something that began with the first coming of Jesus. So the end times is this entire period between the first and second comings of Christ. People say, you know, Pastor, do you think we're in the end times? And I always say, "I, I know we are. We have been since Christ came. This is the final leg, the final act, the final segment of the human story before Christ returns. So Revelation is revealing what God is doing behind the scenes in this final segment of what we call human history. And then thirdly, the, the third question we asked last week was, why do we read this book? Why are we going to study it? I mean, it's weird. It's spooky. Uh, I don't know if any of you took up the challenge last week to read through the entire book of Revelation. You know, I, I asked my wife, and she did it, and, she, and I said, what do you think? And she said, I was really disturbed. <laughs> it was, you know, there's a lot of troubling, uh, it's, in some cases, kind of grisly, ghastly images in this book. It's a It's a scary book in some parts and in some ways. Um, You know, it's a book that has... Some people get a hold of it and they just launch into really bizarre beliefs and interpretations. Why would we study a book that could potentially do that? People have disagreements over this book. People sometimes have sharp disagreements over this book. Why would we want to bring that into the church? Why not just kind of let it be there, revelation, and say, yeah, we all know it's there. We'll just kind of stay away from it. But it's part of the Bible, but we won't touch it. Why are we reading it? Well, because, verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. There's a blessing here in God's Word, even in the hard-to-understand parts of it. This is the culmination of the entire Bible. It's the climax of the biblical story. We have to read this book and receive the blessing that's in it. So, even though we may not fully understand what's written, everything that's here, and I will not stand up here and tell you that I understand every single bit of this prophecy, there are some things that still baffle me somewhat. But we know the main message of this book, which is Jesus wins. And, and we want to focus on this main theme and look for the blessing that's in this scripture. So, this morning I want to continue the introduction to this book by looking at verses 4 to 8. This, the title of my sermon this morning is Intro to Revelation. Part two. I know. Very creative. But uh, let me just read the first eight verses, and then I'll tie into verses four through eight. Revelation 1 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw that is, the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near john to the seven churches in the province of asia grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from jesus christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve His God and Father, to Him be glory and power forever and ever. Why don't you read the next word? Look, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of Him. Now you read it. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verses 4 to 8 are the official introduction to the letter. The first part was almost like a title. Verses 4 to 8 are the introduction. And I just want to simply point out this morning that here in this introduction, we have two more of the central themes of the book of Revelation. The introduction is laying out for us the major message of the book... And here in these first uh, verses four to eight, we have two more of the primary topics that we're going to be covering in the book of Revelation, and so that's all I want to cover this morning. Just point out these two major themes. And the first one is this: Revelation will reveal to us a fresh glimpse of the sovereign majesty of the tri- of the Triune God. That above all else, Revelation really is a picture and a vision of God in all His power and all His majesty and splendor, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you get nothing else out of Revelation, even if you can't decipher it all and can't make sense of it all, I hope that you will see in Revelation a fresh glimpse of who God is and how great God is. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 4. It says, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia grace and peace to you. Now, if you were simply reading that little bit, you would have a very common introduction to a letter in the ancient world. If you're going to write to a friend in the ancient world, you would write your letter differently. You know, we write a letter and we say, Dear so-and-so, we write the letter and at the end we say, Love, or, you know, fondly, or whatever you say, with all due respect, Jeremy. And you would sign your name. Uh, in the ancient world, if you wrote a letter, the first thing you would write in the letter is you'd write your own name. So he writes, John. The next thing you would write would be to whom you're writing. So he's writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Now, you can find in your uh, bulletin this little insert kind of sermon notes thing. I found a little map on Google Images uh, of the churches of Asia Minor. It's everything on Google Images. It's amazing. Type in churches of uh, Revelation and boop, this map pops up. So there's there's the ancient provinces of Asia. Asia today is the country of Turkey. That's what it would have been in the ancient world, the, the Roman province of Asia. And there's the churches there in west what we call today Western Turkey. So he's writing to these historical churches. And he then says grace and peace to you. Typically an ancient letter would then, after the introduction, have a peace wish. Peace to you. And But here's where it's different. It's grace and peace to you from, and now John introduces... God, that this grace and peace is coming from the glorious triune God, from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So again, revelation above all else should give us a vision of God. If you read Revelation and you kind of feel weirded out by it and freaked out by it, do this. Read it again. And in every text, even if you don't understand it, simply ask the question, what is it telling me about who God is? You can always get that out of the book of Revelation. You know, I think of the book of Revelation as kind of like the Hubble Space Telescope. I've used this analogy before, but to me it it just really clicks. You know, the, the Hubble Space Telescope is really cool. It's actually in outer space orbiting our planet. And the reason, of course, that they put a telescope in outer space orbiting our planet is so that it could get clearer pictures of distant objects in space. If you have a telescope here on Earth and it's looking up to the heavens, you know, the the light is being filtered through our atmosphere, the ionosphere and the stratosphere and all those different spheres and all the dust particles and everything that's there. So that by the time some of those distant, dim images get to us, they can't really be seen well by a telescope on Earth. So some guy had the idea of putting it out in space, and it's going around the earth, and now it's, it's uncluttered by our atmospheric conditions. And if you've ever been online and seen some of the images taken by the Hubble Space Telescope, I mean, they're breathtaking. They're just amazing. You'd think an artist painted it or something. Well, he did. An artist did create it. It's beautiful. And, and that's how revelation is. You know, we live so much of our lives in this world, under the atmospheric conditions of this world, with all of its haze and pollution and clutter, and our our thinking and our experiences are so constantly filled up with worries about politics, worries about the economy, just our own personal lives. We all have, everyone has stuff going on. You know, that's one of the things you find out when you become a pastor: is that everyone's got stuff going on. <laughs> You know, We all struggle with things. We have issues in our families. We have issues with our businesses. We, we're struggling with health issues and emotional issues. And so this is our life. It's all this static and clutter. And even when we try to think about God, it's like there's all this haze in the way. And so what Revelation does is it kind of grabs us and catapults us out of this world and gives us a kind of Hubble telescope clear image of this God who is our God and reminds us that even though we're kind of confused and dazed and struggling in our lives, God is still God. So Revelation is a wonderful way of seeing who God is. And the first thing we see about God in this little picture, the first thing as we put our eye to the telescope and and take our first glimpse, is that God is the Trinity, He is the triune God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or here we have Father, Holy Spirit, and Son. Notice it says, Grace and peace to you from Him who is and was and is to come. There's the Father. From the seven spirits before the throne. There's the Spirit. And then Jesus Christ, the Son. So we have the Trinity. One God in three persons. Not three gods. One God in three persons. So it's actual persons. It's not... It's not just God has three different modes. It's not like H2O, which can be sometimes water and sometimes ice and sometimes steam. It's three distinct persons in one God. You have to have both of those to understand the Trinity. And maybe you're wondering, how can that be? My answer is, I have not the foggiest. (laughs) How God is a Trinity? I don't know. I'm not surprised that I don't know. Because God is a, a different order of being. He's not a part of... This creation. He made this world. Why am I surprised that God has features to God that I just can't grasp with my mind, which is part of this creation? Yeah, it wouldn't make sense if I as a human being told you that I was one person with three Jeremys, or three identities. I mean, you wouldn't make sense of it. But we're talking about God. Uh, theologians didn't invent the Trinity. You know, why would you invent something that our minds just can't even begin to grasp? The only reason we believe in the Trinity is because this is what God says about Himself. He says, this is who I am. I am one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. But He's also the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's it's God. And He's awesome. and, And He's great. And He's beyond our comprehension. But we can even then take the telescope and click it in Another level of magnification here in Revelation 1, four to eight, and we can look at each of those three persons. First of all, there's the Father, or the, he's described here as the one who is and who was and who is to come. It's repeated down at verse eight. He says, "I am the alpha and the Omega. You know, Alpha and the Omega, you, you probably know. first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So if he was translating it today, God would say, "I am the A and the Z." I'm before and I'm I'm after. I'm over all things. God is eternal. Speaking of God's eternality and His existence, His self-existence. This is who God is. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Verse 8, He who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. Again, this is language about God being taken out of the Old Testament. Is all of it is. I told you this last Sunday. Revelation is like a soaked sponge. And if you squeeze that sponge out of it's going to pour the Old Testament by the bucketfuls. If you want to understand Revelation, you know, don't open up your newspaper and try to line things up. The first step is to go back to the Old Testament and to see where Revelation is drawing its images. And this is language that's common about God in the Old Testament. If you look at your sermon notes, look at these quotes from Isaiah to the right of the map. Isaiah 41.4 Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord... With the first of them and the last of them, I am He. He's first. He's last. He is. Isaiah four six. This is what the Lord says. Israel's King and Redeemer. The Lord Almighty. I am the first. I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Listen to me, O Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. I am He. I am. I am the first. So He was. And He's the last. He will be. It's taking Isaiah language and using it to describe God. The One who is and who was. And who is to come. He is. You know? God is. That's where we start. God is. (laughs) Without even explanation, He just is. That's the assumption in the Bible. You open the first page of the Bible, in the beginning, God. How'd He get there? He just is. In fact, that wording, God is, the one who is, is actually taken right out of. The book of Exodus chapter 3. If you look in the, the Greek translation of Exodus 3, that, that phrase, the one who is, is taken right out of there. Do you remember the story at Exodus 3? Moses sees the burning bush. you guys know this story? The burning bush and Moses is like, hey, go check that out. This bush is burning, but it's not burning up. What is that? So he walks up to the bush and God speaks to him from the bush and God says, Moses, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Then God gives him his commissioning. Moses, you're going to go and tell the Israelites... And tell the Egyptians to let the Israelites go free. And then Moses, of course, has all his hang ups and questions. Well, God, I don't know. Are they going to listen to me? And I don't know. And, and he says, Well, God, if I go and say, Let the people go, and they say, Well, who sent you? Who should I say sent me? You know, what's your name? you have a business card? Who are you? And God says, Tell them, I am sent you. you know, who are you? I am. He just is. <laughs> you know? Um, God is he, he he has eternity to him, you know, Mommy, who made the trees and the flowers and the plants? Well, honey, God made them, well, Mommy, who made God? nobody he, he just is. I mean, at some point, there has to be a just is, or we could never have anything, if you want to think about it in philosophical terms, um, philosophers call this the the prime mover. Uh, the unmoved mover, there has to be a first cause, a first principle. Some have tried to get around this and say, well, there could be an infinite regress of causation, some philosophers say. And so, you know, what caused this? Well, something else. What caused that? Something else. And just keep doing that into infinity. But even that doesn't solve it because how do you explain the existence of the infinite regression? I mean, at some point you've got to come to there, something that just is. There's something that starts it all. There has to be something that exists. You can't go from nothing to something without something being there. You know? And so we, we're scratching our heads and God just puts up his hand and says, Uh, <clears throat> I am. Oh, I am. He is. He's is our God. The stock market goes up and down. Things change with our health and our families and our jobs. Uh, things change in politics. One party's in power. Then the pendulum swings and another party's in power. States flip flop back and forth. But God is. And if everything goes poof, God still is. He is and He was. So before anything ever existed, there was God. In the beginning, God. Before He created, He simply was. What was God doing before the world was created? Was He lonely? No, His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Was He empty and bored and sad? No. God has been forever happy. God has been forever rejoicing and savoring and delighting in the best thing in the universe, which is God. God has been enjoying God. God has been, with all of God's omnipotent power, enjoying the best thing there is to enjoy, which is Himself. His glory. so Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit has been an eternal celebration and delight in God's self. God didn't create the world because He was empty and bored. God created the world because He was so full. He was so full. And in His joy to express His glory, out came this universe. And someday He'll create a new heavens and a new earth because He's that kind of God. He's so full. So He always was. He is. And He will be. He is to come. This world that so defines our thinking and our lives, this world with everything that we think is so important is going to be wrapped up and wiped out someday. That's part of the message of Revelation. There's an expiration date on the universe and it's coming closer. Someday, the mountains will be swept away like dust into a dustpan. Someday, the lights will get turned out in the heavens. Someday, the sky will be rolled up like a... Uh, architects drawing and thrown in the trash. It's going to go away. And God will make a new heavens and a new earth. Th- this world is not eternal. This world had a start and it will have an end. And even then, God still is. He's awesome. He was. He is. He is to come. And He's our God. He's our God. He's not just the God. He's our God through Jesus. I mean, it's amazing. Do you ever walk out Have you ever walked out under the stars at night? Maybe even camping up in New Hampshire? You can't see the stars so good here. you know You go up to New Hampshire, or Maine, or someplace, and you can actually see stars and, and you go out at night, middle of the night you got to get up and get out of your tent and you kind of stand there and look at the sky. You know if you stand and look at the sky too long, you'll probably have a, a very common human experience of suddenly feeling very small. and the more you look at the stars, the more you kind of feel. Insignificant. You think, this is so, my life is so small. How long have these stars been here? I mean, those aren't even stars. Those are galaxies that are so far away they look like stars. And, and I feel so small and I feel like my life and all the worries of this world on this little tiny speck of dust called Earth are just so tiny. And, and there's such a sense of perspective that comes to your life if, if we can just sit down and look at the stars and see how great the universe is that God has made. Well, I kind of feel like Revelation is helping us see something that's so great that it makes the universe seem small, which is God Himself. That compared to God, the universe is like a little insignificant speck. That The whole thing is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket compared to who God is. And so we look at God through the telescope of Revelation and He's saying to us, be still and know that I am God. No, we're We're so freaked out about all this insignificant stuff. Our God is God. Be still. I don't know what you brought in here today. I'm just telling you, lay it down and look at God and be still and just know that He is God. He is and he was and he is to come. but he's not only the eternal Father. He's not only the Alpha and the Omega. Within the Godhead, the one God, there is the Father. And there's also, as we see here, the Holy Spirit. Look at, back at verse 4. It says, from Him who is and was and is to come. And then, number 2, from the seven spirits before the throne. Now maybe you're like, whoa, 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 seven spirits? But there's one Holy Spirit. Are we up to nine? Father, Son, that's two. Seven, that's nine. Is this the Trinity? Is this the Ninety? I mean, what is? what, what are we... I'm losing track of how many people are inside God. I mean, what's, what's happening here? Alright, let's talk about numbers in the book of Revelation. Numbers, anytime you see a number in Revelation, your symbolism sensor should go up. Numbers are very symbolic. Even when they're literal, they're symbolic. And of all the numbers in the Bible, seven is the granddaddy of symbolic numbers. It's a very symbolic Number. Uh, it's all over the book of Revelation. You're, you're going to find sevens everywhere here. you got seven churches, seven angels. We read that blessing. Blessed is the one who reads the words of the prophecy. There are actually seven blessings in Revelation. There's a scroll with seven seals. There are seven trumpets. There are seven bowls. Sevens are everywhere. And, and they're actually in lots of places in the Bible outside of Revelation. It's a very common symbolic number. And I think you can understand the meaning of the symbolism. Let me just ask you, where is the very first seven in the Bible? Seven days of creation. This one's not hard. This is an easy one. He starts us off easy. The seven days of creation, which in the seventh day God rested. He said it is very good and God was done. So seven very commonly connotes completion, perfection, totality, uh, something being all there. It's all done. It's perfect. It's complete. So I think that when when there's a letter written to seven churches, were those seven literal churches? Yes, but why did he write to seven churches? He could have wrote to six. He could have wrote to eight. He could have wrote to ten. Why seven? Because I think in writing to those seven historic churches, it was a way of saying symbolically that I'm writing to all the churches. So because there were seven, it symbolized totality. Um, So why are there seven spirits? Well, I think it's one Holy Spirit, but by saying what I think is, the seven spirits is a way of saying the Holy Spirit in his perfection and in the totality of his operations in the world see the holy spirit is god's the, the second person the, the third person of the trinity active in the world moving among us the holy spirit is in john he's the wind who's moving and blowing in this world and c- accomplishing the great purposes of god and when god created the world the spirit was hovering over the water it's god's creative active presence among us Look at Revelation chapter 4. Turn there real quick. Revelation chapter 4 and 5, I would argue, I'm going to argue eventually, is the center of gravity for the entire book. Revelation 4 and 5 is the picture of God on God's throne. And then chapter 5 is the picture of the Lamb, Jesus, on the throne. I think chapters 4 and 5 are the center of gravity for the entire book from which the whole thing flows. And notice the, the, the seven spirits are there. Look at verse 5. Uh, from the throne of chapter 4, from the throne, from God's throne, came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And we have an interpretation, thankfully. These are the seven spirits of God. So it's interesting. You have seven lamps, which are God's spirits. It's also interesting if you kind of put that together with the fact that the churches are called the seven lamp stands. It's almost like the churches are God's lampstands to shine forth the light of the Holy Spirit into the world. So God's Holy Spirit, ideally, is working through faithful churches that are shining God's light and His presence out into the world. But I think even more convincing to me is chapter 5, verse 6, where we see the Lamb on the throne. It says, "...then I saw a Lamb, looking as if it had been slain," chapter 5, verse 6, "...standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders." He had seven horns and seven eyes. Whoa, there's some kind of genetic mutation. Why is, why is the lamb... I thought that was Jesus. That's like some kind of freaky lamb. No, no, no. It's it's symbolic. <laughs> the horns. We'll talk about that when we get there. But it has seven eyes, which are what? The seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So again, I, I think that it's, the seven Spirits of God is a way of saying the Holy Spirit in all of His operations in the world. In other words, God is not just way up there reigning, but God is also here working. The God is not only Alpha and Omega, above and beyond all things transcendent, but God is also He's here through the Holy Spirit right in this room as I'm speaking among us. He's working. You know. do you Baptists believe in the Holy Spirit? You know, or is that just you know somebody, Or do we just have Father, Son, and Holy Bible? You know, do you? do we believe in the Holy Spirit or not? Do we believe that the Holy Spirit is real and is working, and not that we understand it; it's mysterious. But do we believe the Holy Spirit is working here? You know, you know, we wring our hands and we're like, oh, I'm the only person in my family who's a Christian. I'm the only one in my office. I'm the only one at school. You know, it's so hard being a Christian. I, why do I even try? Why don't I take my lampstand and put it in my car? Because, you know, it's, everyone's trying to blow it out. I'm trying to shine the light and everyone's, you know, get that out of here. And I, I just feel so powerless. People in my family don't believe. And it's like, do you believe in the Holy Spirit or not? You've got to keep shining the light because you never know when the Holy Spirit's going to blow and do something. You know, we can't control the Holy Spirit, but we believe that the Holy Spirit can do anything. I wouldn't preach if I didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. You, you ever thought about how dumb preaching is? I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a talking head. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, really. Preaching is, is a silly activity. Especially when we have, we have PowerPoint. We have multimedia. We have uh, Twitter and Facebook. I mean, there are so many ways of connecting and communicating. Why does God insist on calling some person who's fallible to stand up, read the book, and without puppets or without anything else, just talk? Like, it's silly. It's a really kind of preposterous idea. But this is how God has moved down through the centuries. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. You know, Spurgeon, the great uh, 19th century a uh, British preacher it, it is said that he would walk up to his podium to preach and as he walk up the steps he said he would say to himself i believe in the holy spirit 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 and that's why i can preach is not because i'm anything or i have any tricks i just believe that god's holy spirit is real you know and, and don't you know it people don't you know that when you've heard a spirit empowered sermon it's different than when you've heard when you've gone to a movie I mean, movies can move me, but then I go out of the movie and I go, oh, that was cool. Whatever. Could you say a movie? Oh, yeah, it was cool. But the Spirit, when He speaks to me through the Word of God, it's like God has spoken to my soul and I'm changed. God is speaking to me through the Holy Spirit, through His Word. It's amazing. The reason we send out missionaries to the ends of the earth is because we believe in the Holy Spirit. If I didn't believe in the Holy Spirit, why missions? That's a waste of money. Ridiculous. But it's because the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is your God who says Grace and peace to you. From him who was and is and is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. God is at work in his world, he is moving, his purposes are accomplished. And then number three, the third person of the Trinity, from Jesus Christ, and back in Revelation one five. From Jesus Christ. Not only is God up there and not only is God here, but God became a human. God took on flesh. How did God do that? How is that possible? I don't know. It's another mystery. How could Jesus be born of a virgin? I don't know. It's a miracle. God is great. God is amazing. And He's come down here. In the form of, in Jesus, and He's walked among us. Notice thing, four things about Jesus Christ. Let me just read it. Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, goes on in verse seven, look, He's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of Him. So shall it be. Amen. There's Jesus. Notice four things about Him. Number one, He's the faithful witness. That's referring to His Life on this earth, witnessing faithfully to God's kingdom, culminating in His crucifixion. He was faithful even when they were pounding the nails into Him. He was faithful to God. He's the faithful witness. But it didn't end there. After He died, what's the next thing we see about Him? He's the faithful witness. Number two, the firstborn from the dead. He rose again. He's first. First one out. And because He's the firstborn, He has a certain preeminence among us. You know, I told you the end times have already begun, right? What's one of the things that happens in the end times? The resurrection. It's already started. It's not completed yet. But the resurrection life of God, which is always a prominent hope of the end, that God will raise the dead, has already begun. Don't you see, Christ is the beginning of the end because the resurrection is underway. But not only was He raised, He now reigns. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Every president, prime minister, dictator, oligarchy, democracy, parliament, congress, everyone is underneath the authority of Jesus the King. He's ruling over this world. We get so into politics sometimes that we forget Christ is the King of Kings. And everything that's happening is according to His plan, a major theme of Revelation, God's plan working behind the scenes. Then the fourth thing about Jesus is He's returning. He was crucified, He's risen, reigning, returning. Verse 7, look, He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of Him. I, I'm telling you, I almost made verse 7 a whole separate sermon because there's just so much cool Old Testament stuff there. So, you know what I, I want to do tonight is, I just decided this morning, tonight I'm just going to talk about it at the 5 o'clock prayer service. So, I'll, I'll talk about verse 7 tonight and we'll kind of dig into that a little bit. The point is, though, He's returning. He's going to reign and rule. He's the King. And so this is our God. So first, Revelation is an unveiling of who God is and all of His greatness. Revelation catapults us out of this world and helps us to see our God who is, was, and is to come, the seven spirits, Jesus Christ, who was crucified, raised, reigning, returning. And it should just motivate us to worship. I'll tell you, Revelation is the cure for the common worship. If, if your worship of God has grown cold, if your grasp of God has grown too comfortable and commonplace, if you've forgotten why we sing the songs we sing, and if you've forgot why do we go to church as to worship God, what does that mean? Read Revelation. It, it will expand your vision of who God is so that we might worship Him. As it says there in verse 6, to Him be glory and power forever and ever. This vision of God leads right into worship for who God is. But let me just, and I'll do this quickly, let me show you the, the second major theme here in Revelation. I'll do this quick. Number one, we see who God is in verses 4 to 8. The second thing it's going to show us is who we are in Christ. Christ. So we're going to see who God is, and when we know who God is, it helps us to see who we are. This is what Calvin argues at the beginning of his Calvin's Institutes, that we need to know who God is, and we need to know who we are before God. And so Revelation is going to help us see who we are in Christ. Revelation was written to discouraged, dispirited, tempted, persecuted, in some cases compromising Christians who felt beat up by the world and who felt like they had to just become chameleons to fit in because, you know, I just have this little lamp and everyone's trying to blow it out. And so I'm just going to fit in with the world. I'm not going to stand out for Christ. And Revelation was written to encourage these Christians to be the lamp stand holding up the light of Christ in the world, to not compromise, but to be bold. And and Revelation is trying to show these Christians who they really are spiritually in Christ. And so who are we? Well, there in verse 5, To Him who loves us. Number one, we're loved. God loves us. This God we just studied loves us. And how do we know He loves us? Because number two, He has freed us from our sins by His blood. That we have been rescued out of our sins. Even though we're sinners, we've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. And He's saved us from our sins. Let me tell you this, people. Revelation is going to make you appreciate your salvation in a big way. (laughs) You know, sometimes we can get comfortable, yeah, Christ has saved me. Jesus died for me. Our kids rattled it off in Sunday school. Revelation is going to make you appreciate the fact that God has saved you. Because Revelation is going to drag us, kicking and screaming, to the very edge of hell and dangle us over it to get a whiff. And we're going to feel the flames of hell. We're going to smell the fury of God's anger. We're going to hear the screams of those who rejected Christ as King. And we're going to look at it before being pulled back. Revelation is a picture in part of God's wrath and anger against sin. And when you see that in the book of Revelation, when you read what hell is really like, you realize that Jesus saved me from that by dying for me, that He spilled His blood to rescue me from the judgment I deserve, it's going to make you appreciate your salvation all the more. And so if your worship has grown cold, read Revelation. If your appreciation for your salvation has grown cold, read Revelation. We're going to see that He has really rescued us from something unspeakable by His own blood. And then look at there, verse 6. Here's the third thing He's done, third and final thing. He's made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve His God and Father. So, not only does He love us, not only has He saved us from our sins, but then He gives us a task. He says, You guys are the kings and priests of the kingdom of God. You're here to serve God. You know, you're like, really? I'm a king? Yes, if you're in Christ, you are prince and princesses. You are the divine royalty walking on planet Earth. And we don't think that way, because no one treats us that way. <laughs> Especially not in Boston, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you don't make eye contact, or anything. But, you know, it's like, why is it, you know, when you walk down the street, people should go, hail to the prince, hail to the princess. <laughs> if, if we really knew that we were God's children, someday we will reign with Christ on his throne and judge the angels. That's who we are. And we're like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not that, well, you know, we're not fully there yet, but we're the prince and princesses. And, and so we, we have this vision, I'm nobody, I'm. Oh, I'm just, I can't be out there a witness for Christ. I just gotta blend in and get along and not cause waves. Like you are, you're the king's children. You're the priests and priestesses of the kingdom of God. And we're to be witnesses out in the world. Not pushy, not arrogant, not I'm the world to bow down, but you know, like, just shining the light. Shining the light. Shining the light. That's all. Just being clear that who Christ is. And we're to, we're to shine that light for Him and to be servants of God into the world. In fact, that title, Kingdom and Priests, is lifted straight out of the Old Testament. That's a title for Israel applied to the church. Which is what you see throughout the whole New Testament. The whole New Testament is the titles and prophecies of Israel are applied to the church. And here now we're the Kingdom and Priests. We're God's servants in the world. I had an experience of this last week. I uh, We took our kids out in our neighborhood. It was... Halloween trick or treating, so we did that. Kids love to go pillage the neighborhood for free candy, and uh, and it just so happened that as our little group of people walked out in the street, there was this huge crowd of adults that we kind of just merged with, and we, we just happened to kind of walk along with them. And there were other people I knew from the neighborhood and from the next neighborhood over and some of their friends, and I, I suddenly dawned on me that it was it was basically a walking party, because <laughs> um, people were already you know a little loaded. But they're walking around with, with alcohol. Like I thought that was illegal. I thought you, I didn't. I thought that was like open drunk. I didn't know you could just walk down the street with like liquor and beer and stuff. But they were, and so, so you know, you're, you suddenly realize kind of what's going on. You're like, hey, everyone, and they're like, hey. And so we're walking down the dark street in the darkness with all these people, and the kids are going to all the houses trick or treating, and um, so you know it was interesting. And and in that moment, God actually gave me an opportunity to share the gospel with one of my neighbors. Which I was kind of surprised by, um, and he he was talking to me, and he had sort of found out that I was a minister, and and he, and he was like, you know, you're not that bad for a minister, you know, he says. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> he goes, no, 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 you you're like a regular guy, you know, and like a tailgating football kind of guy, and I was like, I don't actually watch football, but uh, you know, so we. But in in the moment, God just gave me the words, and which I wish I could say happened more often. But I unfortunately, I'm just not that great of a personal witness. I can do evangelism up here in the pulpit, great. I'm comfortable doing that. But one on one, I don't know. I just I get tongue tied, and I always think later what I should have said. But it was one of those times when I knew what to say, and I just said to him, "You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I said I am a really sinful person, and I there is nothing about me that deserves to be a pastor, <laughs> let alone a Christian." I said, but you know, Jesus died for me. And Jesus on the cross washed away my sins. And because of Jesus, I've become a new person. So that's, that's who I am today, is because of Christ. And he's like, oh. You know, we kept walking. and I don't know if he'll remember a word of it. Uh... And I share that not to brag, because I wish I could say that was my normal experience. And unfortunately, I'm just a poor I I need to work on evangelism. Revelation is challenging to me about being a light out there in the community. So I'm not saying that to be like, hey, look at me, it doesn't happen often enough. But I I think I went home from that and I just reflected, you know, I need to be out there shining the light. You know, I need to be in the world, not of the world, but I need to be in the world, presuming I can be without being tempted, to be in the world where I can be and shining the light. And I just think that sometimes especially as evangelicals in an increasingly non-Christian culture. We're not a Christian culture. Maybe we were once a Christian country. We're not. Not in terms of where people are at today. I know our founders and all that, but that's not where people are at today. And I think especially here in New England. And it's easy, I think, as evangelicals to adopt a very defensive posture To adopt a very withdrawn, circle the wagons, get inside the castle, pull up the drawbridge, fill the moat, put the alligators in it kind of posture against like the cultures. It's bad and the world is bad. Yeah, it is, but guess what? The world's also right here. I have sin nature within me. I don't need the world to introduce me to sin. I have it within my own heart. You know, we can wall ourselves up in the church. Guess what? Sin will be here because it's within us. So, we as Christians, we need to be bold and be in the world, not of the world, but in the world. We have to find ways creatively to to get the light out there and shine it. And I just kind of went away from that experience like, you know, what am I afraid of? Why are we so afraid? He was, He is, He is to come, the seven spirits, the king of the earth. He's my God. And that God has made me, bought me, saved me, and made me to be his priest in this world. And you're his priest too. And, and we're to be the light in the world. What are we afraid of? What, what's holding us back? Why are we so timid in standing for Christ? And so my prayer is that Revelation will, will see, help us to see God and give us confidence. And then help us to see who we are, not in and of ourselves. In and of ourselves, we're just sinners. But in Christ, we are the children of God and His witnesses, that we might be His light to the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, these are great truths and I just confess that, and we confess, Lord, that we're so very likely to walk out of here and forget about this the second we turn on the pats. So, Lord, I just pray that by Your Holy Spirit you would, you would take a hot iron and brand these truths onto our minds and our hearts. That, Lord, there would be a cross-shaped scar on our souls that we would look at and we would know and remember that You are our God. And that we are to be your kingdom and priests serving you in this world. That we're the lampstands shining your light. And so Lord, would you take these great truths and not just let them be ideas, but Lord, bring them home to our minds and our hearts this week. Help us to begin the process of seeing reality through revelation lenses and not through secular worldly lenses. God, would You give us a new way of thinking about ourselves and about the world around us that would fill us up with a godly, humble courage to be Your lights and to not just go along with the world system anymore. God, change us and transform us. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit can change us, Father. So send the Holy Spirit in power upon us to make us the people You want us to be. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.